Have you ever thought of the difference between something that's important to you and something that is essential to you? Something that's important has great significance and value, where something that is essential is extremely important. In fact, indispensable. Now, essential is a word that's being used a lot during our current pandemic response with businesses, for example. All businesses are important, but only a small subset of those businesses were defined by our government as being essential. Jobs in the same way. All of our jobs are important, especially to each of us, but a smaller number were considered during this season as essential. Whether we agree with the designations or not, what is designated as essential was determined as providing something our society cannot do without. Now each of us have different ways of determining what is essential to us versus what's important. A quick litmus test is that we make sure to get done or we make sure to get what we see as essential and not so much with important things. For example, my wife Charlotte. Making our bed each day is something that borders on essential to her. It always gets done. Now, making the bed for me, well, let's just say don't come over to the house if she's out of town. For me, making the bed doesn't quite get to the important level or whatever's below important. But in our passage today, I believe James is helping us to see something that's already genuinely important to us but that should be on our individual lists of essential items. His focus for us is prayer. He's wanting us to see how prayer is not simply important, but essential to the Christian life. Now, we would all probably say that prayer is an important spiritual resource always available to us, but is it most often used in crisis, kind of like an umbrella in Arizona? James wants us to see that prayer is an essential part of the Christian life, something that we simply cannot do without. So let's look at the scripture together. Beginning in verse 13, chapter 5. Follow along with me, please. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Please let me lead us in prayer. Father, we come to you before a message about prayer. We come in prayer. Father, I'm well aware of my need, and I ask your grace. 
Fathers, it's my privilege to preach your word to our church. So, Father, we ask your grace, I ask your grace, to communicate clearly the truth in your word, that we would have a greater view of our God, a biblical view of prayer, Lord, and that your word would affect our lives. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. The main point I have for the message today would be this. Faithful prayer needs to be our response in all of life. Faithful prayer needs to be our response in all of life. And I have two points to to mine this from the scripture this morning. The first point is uh, the call to faithful prayer. And the second point will be the power in faithful prayer. So, first of all, the call to faithful prayer. We see prayer is clearly the topic James is focusing on in the end of his book. Prayer is mentioned seven times in the six, first six verses, beginning in 13 through 18. This is the first time that James references the word prayer in his book. But it's not the first time that he's referred to prayer. For example, if we look back in chapter 1, verse 5, James says, Is any, If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Or in verse 6 in chapter 1, let him ask in faith. Chapter 4, verse 2, you do not have because you do not ask. And even in chapter 4, verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So the topic of prayer is not neglected by James until the end of the book, but he does emphasize it as essential to the Christian life in these verses that we're looking at today. James is telling his audience that for the Christian, prayer is essential. He directs them to see that when you're confronted with life, respond in prayer. If you're suffering, pray. If you're cheerful, pray. If you're sick, pray. If you're affected by sin, pray. And realize, Christian, that your prayer has power because you're praying to the one almighty God who is all-powerful. Now James goes on through several categories that we all experience in our lives where he's exhorting us to respond in prayer. James picks up the theme of suffering that he discussed in verses 7 through 12 that we looked at last week, where he's encouraging the church and Christians to be patient in their suffering, and now he adds the action that they take. Prayer. Where he says in verse 13, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Now using the word let here sounds like an invitation or even a suggestion. However, what James uses here is an imperative tense in the original language. We, we don't have that same verb tense in the English, so it can come across in the translation and lose some of the intensity, I believe, that's intended. What's more in line with what James is telling us is this. If you're suffering, you need to pray, or even you must pray. It's not a suggestion, it's a command James is giving to the church. He is helping them to see that prayer is essential to the Christian life. He doesn't direct them as to what they are to pray when they're suffering, just that they're to pray. When you pray, that's a tangible way of taking a faith 
faith-filled action, an active step forward. You are drawing near to God, as he says in chapter 4, verse 8. You're looking to Jesus in the midst of your suffering. Praying can change your situation, but if it does not, it can change your perspective. If you're suffering, pray. The prophets were mentioned earlier, as we looked at last week. They were men known for their prayer. Job himself, he prayed. So Christian, James is saying that if you're suffering just like them, follow their example. You need to pray. You must pray. Then James includes another category in our lives that needs to include prayer, and that is those that are cheerful. The second half of verse 13 says, Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. But the imperative continues. You see, for this phrase as well, not a suggestion, but a command. He needs to sing. If you're cheerful, you need to sing. You must sing. You see, James is instructing them to sing when they're cheerful. But isn't praise to God another form of prayer? The Psalms are a combination of prayers, but to song. The Israelites would often sing their morning and evening prayers. Singing praise to God is declaring truth about God and often giving thanks to God for His great goodness to us. You see, those that are having a good life that there's no obvious suffering should also pray. But their prayers should be songs of praise and thanksgiving. Singing praise to God, declaring that truth about God, giving Him thanks for His goodness to us. James understands that a reminder to turn to God is often needed more in times of blessing than in times of suffering. In these times, we can be more self-dependent than God-dependent. So James is saying, if you're cheerful, sing songs of praise to God as a command because prayer is essential to the Christian in good times. I believe James would agree with the hymn by Johnston Oatman that says, count your blessings. Name them one by one. Count your blessings. See what God hath done. So James then extends this category from suffering to those cheerful, and then says, let's have faithful prayer if you're sick. In verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Again, the imperative continues. Is anyone among you sick? He must call for the elders of the church. He needs prayer. The elders must call. They need to pray. The sick are encouraged here to call the elders of the church to pray for them. In a time in history where there were few doctors, maybe none available to the poor, there was still access to the great physician, as there is today. The important fact here is that the prayer is to the Lord and is done in the name of the Lord. And it's the Lord that will raise him up. James also mentions here that the prayer of the elders for the sick person is to also include anointing with oil. Anointing with oil, because of its significance, is so unclear here in this passage, directs, or actually attracts a lot of attention as we look at this passage. Now, some commentators believe it had medicinal value in biblical times, 
Some feel it was more symbolic of God's presence. But anointing, whatever it signifies, is clearly subordinate to James' main concern in these verses, and that's prayer. The power is not in the elder or the oil, but in the Lord who hears the prayer of the elders. Our faith is in our God when we pray, not in a certain result. And as elders, we always count it a privilege to respond in faithful prayer to those who call. But let's look at verse 15. Is, get, is James giving us a promise of healing where he says, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. Well, James is not giving a formula for healing, but an encouragement to approach God for healing through prayer. We are to follow God's direction here when there's severe sickness. God heals the sick today. We believe in the miraculous healing of God. However, we also believe in the sovereign rule of God and that His will is always perfect. Whether we agree with God's timing or not, at times God heals people through the use of medicine, medical means. At times God uses the means of surgeries. And at times God heals miraculously in the moment. At times healing doesn't come until we're taken home. So we trust a sovereign God with the result of our prayer. But we are called, we're commanded to come to him in prayer. And the next category for prayer, for prayer together in the church was for those affected by their sin. The second half of verse 15 says, And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. If you're convicted of sin, James encourages us to look at the gospel. You can see in verse 15. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. For the believer, what wonderful hope. And James directs us back to Calvary at this moment, knowing that because Jesus has died for our sins, you will be forgiven. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. James then encourages us to confess our sins to one another and then to pray for one another. What a wonderful expression of our fellowship together to be available to care for one another, to humbly confess our sins together and to pray for one another. What a healing effect that can bring to our soul. Faithful prayer. We're called, we're commanded to allow faithful prayer to be an essential part of our lives and our church fellowship together. Now let's look at our second point, the power in faithful prayer. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. James now talks about prayer with great power as it is working. He begs, which really begs the question as you read that, read that, where it says the prayer of a righteous person has great prayer. Well, who is James referring to as the righteous person? Well, what he's not referring to is the one who feels righteous. 
In that case, I think we would all fall short because none of us feel very righteous, especially in the midst of suffering, sickness, or when convicted of sin, areas that he has just reviewed. But James is referring to those who are Christians who are simply moving forward and fighting the good fight of faith. Those who are trying hard to follow after God. The following isn't perfect. It's not without failures. It is not as consistent as we would like, but it's someone characterized by a continual pursuit of God. This is directed to every Christian. Every Christian that is seeking to follow after God falls into this category here of a righteous person whose prayer has great power as it is working. Because Christian, it is God's power at work. Prayer is powerful because God is all-powerful. And then James gives us an example. He directs our attention in verse 17 to Elijah. And he says this, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Elijah, a man like us, James is spurring his readers to pray in faith like Elijah did, and to expect results like Elijah did. Now this is nothing short of amazing. This is an amazing statement, an amazing encouragement for us to pray. James is using the expression, a man with a nature like us, when he refers to Elijah. He makes it clear that we have the same ability to pray as Elijah did. This means that our prayers are heard in the same way by God, and that our prayers are powerful enough to bring about the miraculous. James is addressing the average Christian, you and I, and he gives each of us assurance that our, our prayers, the prayers of a righteous person, are powerful. And he doesn't just leave it there, he compares the power of our individual prayers to that of one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament. Charles Spurgeon says this, Prayer is the slender nerve that moves the arm of omnipotence. Our prayers, Christian, are powerful. It affects our lives and our world around us. I want to read you a quote by H.B. Charles in his fine book, It Happens After Prayer. He says this, Some people are like thermometers. They only register the condition of their surroundings. Other people are like thermostats. They regulate the condition they find themselves in. Their circumstances do not dictate how they think or feel or act. They have a spiritual climate control that enables them to be strong and stable and steadfast, whatever the situation. I would say the people that are described in this quote as thermostats have something in common. Faithful prayer. I believe there are men and women that pray. And here are some examples. Elijah, given us in Scripture, a prophet, a man of prayer, asked great things of God, and the weather patterns were affected in the Middle East for 40 
consecutive months. How about examples of men and women outside of the biblical time? How about the 19th century? George Mueller, a Christian, a man of prayer, lived in England in the 19th century and he asked great things of God. He cared for and provided for over 10,000 orphans, praying for God's provision, food and shelter, and God provided. About the 20th century, how about Corey Ten Boom, the author of The Hiding Place, a Christian, a woman of prayer. She asked great things of God. During World War II, she and her family and friends protected an estimated 800 Jews from Nazis from the Nazis in death. God was with her and brought her through her own internment in the concentration camp, surviving the Holocaust. How about the 21st century? About people like Johnny Erickson Tata, a Christian, a woman of prayer. She daily asks great things of God because now at 70, she has lived 53 years as a quadriplegic. But from her wheelchair showing us that God has met her in her suffering each day now for over half a century. And seeing her spread the joy of the Lord and hope of the gospel to, dis to the disabled around the world. How about you, Christian? A man or woman of prayer. You can ask great things of God. Your prayers are no different from Elijah's, from George Mueller's, from Corey Ten Boom's, from Johnny Erickson Tata's. In the eyes of God, Remember, God made a point of calling Elijah a man with a nature like ours in verse 17. He's not in another category when it comes to prayer. And you're praying to the same great God to whom Elijah prayed. Our great God who hears and answers prayer. Your prayer. How big is your God? God that sent his son to die for our sins and change the eternal destiny of every believer that puts faith in Jesus in his death and resurrection? God has power to overcome all sin and death shown at the cross in the empty tomb. God has power to call us out of the world into eternal life. God, whose power did not stop at our salvation, our Savior is even now interceding for us. He's praying for us. Prayer is essential to Christ. Do you wonder how often your name is on the lips of your Savior as he intercedes for you at the throne of God? Oh, what a great God we serve. And that God has called our prayers. Prayers with great power as they are working. H.B. Charles has another quote I'd like to share with you. He says, let me give you a single formula to make sense of life's problems. If you have a big God, you only have little problems. If you have a little God, you have big problems. Our God is great. Prayer is our access to God. Let's make prayer essential in our lives. The last two verses of this chapter and the book, he concludes, and they seem disconnected to the preceding verses. But however, in closing the book, James encourages his listeners 
in a way that's consistent with the entire theme of the book of James. To walk in God's ways. To be doers of the word, not just hearers. To not wander away from the truth and to help one another as brothers and sisters follow after God. We see those themes richly in James. So verses 19 and 20 says this, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings them back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. James has been giving direction to his listeners throughout these five chapters of righteous living. His encouragement is to guard your heart and when tempted to wander, guard your heart heart and to help one another along the path of life. So it's easy to see how these two verses fit into a focus on how prayer is essential. It's an essential part of guarding our own souls from wandering and also interceding with prayer for others tempted to wander through trying times. The hymn, Come Thou Fount, the fifth verse says this, So to grace, how great a debtor Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the one I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. You can feel this song as an expression of praise and prayer to the Lord. We need his grace. Because prayer is essential to us. So church, if I can end with some application. We want our lives to be more described by that of a thermostat. As we heard earlier from H.B. Charles. That through prayer we can express our trust in God's sovereign rule in our lives. And in prayer we can experience God's grace, His presence, and His love. God, by his great power, will help us remain steady and steadfast, even in challenging times, even in the season that we're in now. Let prayer characterize us as individual Christians and as a church. For our God is faithful, as we heard earlier in our exhortation in worship. Our God will always be faithful, and he's allowed us to have the avenue and access of prayer and through prayer to touch others in our world. So would you be more characterized as a thermometer or a thermostat? If you see more of life's circumstances, they're affecting how you think and how you feel and you act more than you'd like for them to, then trust God. Put your trust and faith in God expressed in your prayer for him to control your life and circumstances. So these two points I'll leave you with. Number one, ensure prayer is essential in your life. Faithful prayer needs to be our response in all of life. And number two, pray in faith, trusting a powerful God for great things. John Newton says this, Thou art coming to a king, Large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power are such, none can ever ask too much. Please pray with me. Father, as we have 
really looked into your word to see James' exhortation, his commands to us to pray. Father, we ask your grace to follow that command in our individual lives. That prayer, Lord, would be essential to us. And that prayer would be consistent in our walk. Father, we ask your blessing on ourselves, on our church, and on our country. Father, we thank you for all that you have done for us. And it's in your holy name that we pray. And Father, I pray for those that could be hearing this message and not be believers, to where these hopes and promises, Lord, are ones that they're hearing but can't access. Father, we pray for your salvation, the gospel message to reach their hearts. We pray that people this morning will be regenerated by hearing your word and that each and every promise can be theirs. Save the lost this morning. In your name, we pray together. Amen.